everybody welcome to the element of surprise my name is Chadwick J Suet and um, let's uh, let's get right into it today uh, you could check us out at podbean.com that's our hosting site all our episodes are there EOS mentally irregular check out our Facebook page at uh, www.facebook.com backslash EOS mentally irregular uh, leave us a review Check out the group, the EOS group. Uh, join it. Be a part of it. Get to uh, have a little bit more fun there. Uh, stuff that uh, translates to uh, visual and social media style things. So, all that being said, uh, Valentine's Day just happened. So, I was going to give you guys a little bit of V-Day uh, stuff. As well as um, some various other things. I got uh, new superheroes to talk about uh, who's even worse than Bullet Man, uh, surprisingly. I'm going to tell you how to, last last episode I taught you, or I told you about why no retail employee should ever have to talk to a human being, or vice versa. Uh, this week I'm going to tell you how to deal with a, uh, with a, with an angry customer, with an angry customer. If you work in retail and you've ever had an angry customer, you'll know what it, know what it's like, and, uh, we're going to talk about some other things there. I got some, uh, Failed fast food mascots, things that uh, some companies tried out for some fast food mascots that just didn't uh, didn't work out, and uh, you know various other things. So here we go. Um, let's start right off the bat with the fast food mascots. That sounds like a good time. Um, number one was KFC Kentucky Fried Chicken. So you know in the commercials they have all the uh, you know they have all these uh, celebrities playing the the Colonel. Uh, Colonel Sanders, and you know, it's uh, weird, like you get uh, Kiefer Sutherland playing the Colonel when he's all made out of gold, and it's for that gold recipe, and then you get the one with uh, the guy, he's got fucking like 10, eight, 10 foot long Freddy Krueger arms, things like that, So, but you know, before before that, they tried out something a little bit different, they tried out a character by the name of Roid Rage Chicken, um, now Roid Rage Chicken was bred without a beak or an asshole, and uh, he was a steroid-saturated, four-foot-tall chicken that flies into violent tantrums and uh, would beat his spouse and threaten customers whenever uh, they uh, challenged its character, whenever they questioned what, ty- what, ca- what type of uh, person uh, Roid Rage Chicken was choosing to be in life. Um, he would throw buckets of uh, chicken at, at crying children, um, and... I'm sure if they had to deal with Roid Ridge Chicken, that was probably plentiful. They probably had to deal with a lot of crying children there. And then he would tell them to grow the fuck up. Uh, then his genitals would implode because of all the steroids. Uh, KFC quickly dropped him 
in favor of just, uh, you know, a picture of Colonel Sanders. Because, seriously, who wants a roided-out chicken throw or roided-out uh, steroid chicken throwing um, buckets of chicken at your kids and, you know, beating you whenever you come in? Uh, next was Applebee's. Applebee's is notorious because they don't really have a mascot that uh, I'm aware of. You know, it's just come to Applebee's and they, you know, they talk more about their food and that's the quality. And I think I understand why because of their previous attempt at a mascot, Amy, the Applebee's strumpet waitress. Um, Amy was a uh, character that they, I guess, was supposed to compete with Wendy. Um, now, when Amy wasn't working a double or sporadically, uh, you know, talking to uh, talking to customers, she would uh, claim to be a nursing student. And uh, what she would do is she would have unprotected sex with random men, uh, the types of which normally would wear visors and have barbed wire tattoos. Um, her fifth child, Trey, is named after the dude at Applebee's who makes the salads, um, because he's probably the father. Probably. She doesn't know for certain. And her catchphrase uh, was, the optimistic slogans on the buttons I wear help me get through my day without crying. It... it it wasn't a successful catchphrase. It just didn't catch on. And, uh, you know, so they, they quickly dropped the idea of Amy, the Applebee strumpet waitress. Um, and, and, you know, for, for good cause, too. I mean, would you really want a uh, strumpet waitress? You're there with your family trying to uh, have a good dinner, but maybe you, maybe you wore a, a polo shirt and the collar was a little bit popped and she'd be, you know, trying to grind up on you and shit like that, telling you about how she's going to be a nurse one day. And, uh, you know, trying to take you home. Meanwhile, you got your kids and your spouse there. So that's probably not good. So they, they dropped Amy. Um, you know, Wendy's decided, they, they, they toyed with an idea for a while, where instead of actually having Wendy, uh, they were just going to do the ghost of Dave Thomas. And, uh, you know, it, while I guess it was initially envisioned as, like, a good-natured cross between, like, the, um, the ghost dad character by uh, Bill Cosby and... Um, you know, the, the live-action founder of Wendy's, Dave Thomas himself, um, they had, on uh, paper, decided to portray the ghost of Dave Thomas's face with uh, realistically uh, decomposition, realistically decomposing, uh, because he had been dead for some time, and uh, changed his catchphrase to, Oh, how I miss the natural world. I'd suck a dick for a junior bacon cheeseburger. And, uh, you know, it just... It gave the whole campaign like a creepy air of necrophilia, and it was decidedly unappetizing. So they just decided to go a different way with it and stick with the stick with Wendy, his daughter, uh, who he'd named the franchise after. Um, now Sonic, Sonic, uh, you know the drive-in, uh, drive-up Sonic restaurant. They got those commercials with those two douchebags uh, sitting there in their car. Uh, before that. Uh, in the uh, early 90s, they toyed with a, uh, another concept of a stereotypical 80s guy who would drive a 1984 Subaru Brat. Uh, you know, he was there, he's complete with mullet, cut-off jean shorts that were a little too short, uh, white tube socks that had the red and blue stripes pulled the whole way up to his knees, nunchucks around his neck, aviator sunglasses, and just a hunger for chili cheese conies. Um, he was caught groping the waitresses, and his shorts... Uh, as I said, they were a little too short, and they exposed his testicles, so he was quickly replaced. They, they just dropped that uh, concept altogether. Um, moving on to Taco Bell, 
you know, after the success they found with the Taco Bell dog that used to say, Yo quiero Taco Bell, um, they wanted to bring in another character as a mascot, and they picked a man who was a taco, like a taco man. Um, you know, it wasn't a man, like a superhero dressed up and had like a taco on his shirt who would be Taco Man. He was a man who was a taco. He was a human being who uh, was flattened and folded up like a taco shell, and then they filled him with meat and cheese, tomatoes, lettuce, and sour cream. Um, so this terrifying abomination would basically spit meat and tomato chunks and cheese at people as he frantically urged them to try the newest assortment of uh, poorly made but delicious Mexican foods. Um, they decided at the last minute not to move forward with the character because they found him more disturbing and manic than uh, friendly and inviting. And, and rightfully so. So, you know, that's, uh, that was Taco Bell's. Now, Five Guys Burger and Fries is relatively, uh, you know, a newer franchise. They've been around for probably about, I'd say, going on 20 years now, um, give or take. But uh, they tried their hand at mascotting for a bit when they uh, introduced the Five Guys, who were pretty much just like a burger joint version of the Queer Eye for the Straight Guy team. Um, and they just, you know, rather than advertise what Five Guys offered, they just wanted to look flamboyant and make burgers in the gayest way possible. Um, so eventually, you know, quickly they were dropped. These The Five Guys characters were dropped because they wouldn't stop making jokes about, quote, putting their meat in between someone's buns or uh, topping things with their Five Guys sauce. Uh, you know, just horribly blatant and uh, not 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 kosher comedy. Uh, you know, it gave off the, the the wrong the wrong vibe about Five Guys Burgers and Fries. Uh, they had to ask themselves, what kind of customer base are we advertising to? And so they dropped the Five Guys. Um, and, and and then there's Arby's. You know, Arby's uh, they have that Ving Rhames uh, commercial where he goes, Arby's, we have the meats. And now they got H. John Benjamin from Bob's Burgers and various other things talking about sandwiches and just being uh, bizarre and mentally irregular. And that's all, that's all well and good. But uh, for a while, they toyed around with a different idea. Um, you know, they, they have that uh, surplus of what they call horsey sauce, and it comes in those little packets. Uh, so Arby's briefly ran a uh, campaign with a character they called The Horse. And it was a robotic horse that would approach tables with baskets of horsey sauce and uh, repeating gleefully, it would say, It comes from me! But in like a robotic voice. Um, however, after the robotic horse became self-aware and murdered four customers, they deactivated it and sent it off to a junkyard. Um, yeah, so that was uh, mascots. That's uh, failed fast food mascots. And uh, yeah, I might just keep doing that for a while. I'm going to run out of restaurants soon enough. But um, that's fine. That's okay. Next thing I want to talk about is I, I, I found out that there's a thing out there that exists, and uh, it's real, and you can look into it, and I think it might be the best job in the world, or also the worst job in the world. And what it is called is it's called being a friend for hire. And it's a real thing that exists. You can rent yourself out, rent your friendship out to people who are just, uh, you know, like just to be like a professional buddy to people who, for one reason or another, can't find friends like the normal way, you know? And this is actually a thing. Uh, you can work as a friend for hire. So I decided to look into uh, and f look into it and find out what I can about uh, this highly sought-after profession. Um, you know, and it's not that every person paying for friendship is just, like, too creepy for normal society or anything like that. Uh, maybe some people are just sad and lonely, you know? But I I'm... I'm 
completely willing to bet that some of them are just too creepy for normal society. Like, there's got to be, like, among the usual lonely souls who just want to grab a drink and catch a movie, there has to be someone who wants to go, like, a full-grown adult that wants to pay you to go to a petting zoo with them or play in the ball pit at McDonald's. Um, you know, in fact, I'm 100% convinced that there are true sociopaths out there who would love nothing more than to, like, you know, meet up with a friend and wear each other's shirts or follow a random person around and see how long it would take before they noticed and uh, ran away. Um, because that's creepy as fuck, but that's not something you want to do alone. You don't want to be like, hey, man, I just, uh, you know, I, it feels weird. I'm doing it alone. I might get arrested. But if I'm with a buddy, you know, that's, that's, that's just powering around. That's just powering around. So uh, you could actually check this out at rentafriend.com. And you can sign up, set up a profile, and they will match you up with the right friend for you. Uh, Craigslist has its own uh, somewhat creepier version of this uh, in the general hangouts section. And uh, it isn't just some obscure, like, niche anymore. You know, Rent-A-Friend alone has over 600,000 professional friends on call at any given moment. And they charge anything between uh, $10 to $200 an hour. So you could be a friend making $200 an hour just to, like, you know, wingman for somebody or check out, a, check out a movie and then talk to them. Or, you know, even just, like, I don't know, go to the park for a while. It's, it's creepy, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it exists. It's a real fucking thing. Um, you know, so I, I, I'd like to know what it's like to offer my friendship for cash. Or maybe you would like to offer your friendship for cash. And I'd bet you'd get, like, a dazzling array of folks who just don't know how to be around people. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that. I, I don't like to be around people, but, you know, everybody gets lonely from time to time. Um, you know, I'm sure there are people who turn out to be okay and may even turn into real solid friendships after the fact. You know, I'm not really completely interested in those myself. I'm here to talk about uh, people who want to have a sleepover and build a pillow fort. Or somebody whose idea of hanging out involves looking at pictures of their dead father. Um, those are the friend rentals I want to know more about. Um, and I guess the only way to really find out exactly what goes on with Friends for Hire would be, a, would be to rent a friend myself and get them on this podcast to explain it. Um, I don't get paid to do this, so just by renting a friend for even like 30 minutes, I, I'd be in the hole. So, um, you know, it, it may not be something I actually do, but I'd love to do that. I'd love to have a rent-a-friend on this podcast and just find out what it's like to be a, a rent-a-friend. And, you know, also the concept of renting a person is, un uncharacteristically, that's weird to me. And I say uncharacteristically because, that you, you know, those of you that actually know me would be like, oh, yeah, that's a Chad thing. He'd, he'd rent a person for half an hour. But uh, uncharacteristically, I feel weird about that. I don't want to rent somebody. It kind of feels like slavery. Um, I'd be okay being the person who is rented, but not the one who is renting the person. Um, Although it does even get stranger than that, Japan has jumped on this rent-a-friend bandwagon, and they've opened an actual fucking theme park where you can rent people to, like, help you impress your date. Or you can, uh, rent people to live out of fantasy to, like, help you pretend to defuse a bomb or be, like, a dramatic hero like in Die Hard. Or even just, like, something stupid like donating blood in an emergency. Th those, are, those are just three or four examples of very specific fantasies that they offer that you can act, act out. And, um, you know, I guess friend rental is the way to make that happen. So that's a fucking thing, you know, rent-a-friend. Maybe you want to be a rent-a-friend. I'd, I'd be a rent-a-friend. Again, I, I don't feel comfortable renting a friend. It's, you know, yeah, makes me feel gross. 
Like, I don't want to rent a friend that's uh, just tantamount to basic prostitution almost. But, uh, you know, instead of, like, banging them, I just cry a lot or, you know, ask them what their life is like. They tell me about their day. But, um, you know, so that's Rent-A-Friend. So I want to look more into that. And I'm going to continue bringing you updates on uh, Rent-A-Friend as much as I can find out. Maybe I can find some Rent-A-Friend testimonials. Or maybe, I, you know what I should have done? And I'm going to do uh, now for the next episode is I'm going to check out rentafriend.com and I'm going to read uh, reviews and testimonials by people who have rented friends and see what they say. Uh, there's bound to be some fucking awesome shit in there. So, um, okay, the next thing I want to talk about is, you remember Pac-Man? I've been uh, thinking a lot lately about old video games. Um, you know, and I, I talked in the last episode how every old arcade game in the 70s and 80s got itself like a cartoon, like Hubert, and it was just awful. But it, was a, it wasn't a question of if they were going to do it, it was a question of when they were going to do it. And, um, you know, I stumbled upon a game. There was a Pac-Man 2 that came out. You know, not, not Ms. Pac-Man, not Pac-Man Jr. Literally, it was called Pac-Man 2, and it was a console game. And um, it was Pac-Man 2, and they called it The Adventure Continues. And um, let me describe this to you. You know, I expect certain things whenever I think of our video game heroes. You know, for example, uh, when I play a Donkey Kong game... I've signed on for a big galoot kind of throwing barrels at me and, uh, you know, not in any way, shape, or form uh, pontificating on the finer points of, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, cunnilingus or anything like that. That just wouldn't make any fucking sense. I don't want to hear Donkey Kong talk about, like, the best ways to, to pleasure your, your, your female partner. That just wouldn't be fucking sane. Um, so, you know, when I play a Pac-Man game, equally I anticipate endless, godless labyrinths, um, Im Im implicably angry poltergeists, and a deluge of non-prescription pills. That's what I think of when I think of Pac-Man games. And when you pop, uh, whenever you take Pac-Man 2 and you pop that one into your Super Nintendo, well, you basically volunteered to play a game where you babysit a manic depressive, uh, family man who's got limbs. Fucking Pac-Man got limbs now. Um, I don't want that. I want progressively harder mazes, and psychotic, colorful ghosts who may or may not be hallucinations of Pac-Man's pill-riddled brain. I'm looking for a Pac-Man that flaps his mouth wildly to feed his addiction, not a Pac-Man that milks cows and likely has pitiful sex with his wife. That's not what I want. So Pac-Man 2, the adventure continues. You basically just make life decisions for Pac-Man. Should I, it like starts out like his Ms. Pac-Man is there and it's like, Pac-Man, the baby needs milk. So, you know, do you go milk the cow? Yes. You know, you basically just sit there and hit the uh, hit the A or B button to make yes or no decisions in Pac-Man's life um, until eventually, I guess at the end of the game, do you shoot yourself or do you not? You know, you get to choose Pac-Man's uh, form of suicide, death by gun, death by hanging. I don't think hanging would work. I don't see that Pac-Man has a neck anywhere. Um, or maybe, maybe death by uh, taking too many prescription pills, which is what you'd expect from Pac-Man in the first place. So you kind of ended it on a high note. Um... But I don't know, you know, I just thought it was a weird concept for a game. And how can they say that's the adventure continuing when it's just basically Pac-Man living out a regular suburban life? That doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. Um, but I did stumble upon something else. Again, as I said last week, I do like to, uh, the, to the sociopath side of my brain likes to torture itself by going to YouTube and watching just the craziest fucking shit I can find. That's how I stumbled upon uh, Ratafak Palacha. And I'd like to take a moment, uh, we'd like to take a moment now from the element of surprise to uh, thank Ratafak Placha and all of his uh, 
and all of his grace and mightiness for allowing us to live another day and not feasting upon our faces and uh, chewy innards while we slept. Uh, thank you, great and mighty Czechoslovakian Radifak Placha, for uh, not destroying the world on your whims, because clearly he has all the uh, power to do this. Um, but I stumbled upon something else. It was uh, literally the most awesome thing ever, and it's called Hip Show, and it's from Russia. So, who remembers American Gladiators? Raise a hand. Show of hands. Yep. I see that you do. Yeah. Yeah. So, you remember American Gladiators? And So, imagine a Russian version of American Gladiators, and you just remove every last fuck that this show ever had to give. And, um... It exists. It's it's called Hip Show, and basically it's here's the pro, here's the here's the point of it. It's hosted. You get a bearded announcer. He's got this long ZZ Top beard, and he sits there and he tells you what's going on. He announces what's happening, and what's happening in Hip Show is full contact, two on two martial arts fighting inside of a three level high maze like obstacle course, and that's just fucking awesome. It's just a full contact group brawl while standing near or on the edge of raised platforms and you might ask yourself how could that possibly be a good idea and i'm here to tell you it's not a good idea it's the best idea the best idea ever so i checked out this show and i looked more into it and basically the fights are again they're full contact fights and they consist of two on two teams who are just basically flailing their way through uh three two minute rounds through these fucking obstacle courses and I can tell you right off the bat that teamwork is essential here because the moment that one partner drops, the whole arena turns into a two-on-one death maze. And if you're the guy being, if you you're the guy whose partner got knocked out, you don't that you don't want that to be you because that's um, you know you're just gonna get fucked up in all types of royal ways. You're gonna have full contact professional fighters jumping off things like fucking parkouring their way down on top of you and locking you into fucking like headlocks and like breaking your arms and shit um and it's against the rules to go and hide too because if anyone caught hiding behind obstacles is immediately disqualified immediately which uh seeing that this is a russia show i'm going to assume that means being thrown out uh side and mauled to death by bears um it, it, it's probably not that bad, but in Russia, that's what I imagine. Soviet Russia, that's definitely what they would have done. Nowadays, you know, it's give or take. you got to flip a coin on it. Um, it does get better than that, though. Uh, the, the names, the fighters have names. The fighters that you and your partner compete, can compete against have names, like on American Gladiators. And uh, you can hear the announcer in his thick Russian accent announce these names and throw the names out. And I, 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 I couldn't hear all the names, but here are some of the names. You have Gladiator. Ronin, Burr's Dog, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds fucking amazing, uh, Gambit, someone who's just called Canadian, not THE Canadian, just Canadian, and then there's my personal favorite, fucking Boromir, from fucking, like, Lord of the Rings, one simply does not walk on into hip show, Boromir, um, so I watched a full episode on YouTube, and there was a fighter who was uh, not one of the professional fighters uh, hosted by the show trying to stop you. He was a guy that, you know, they give yourself like, um, what's that American ninja that they have out now with the obstacle course? You get to give yourself a name. So he nicknamed himself Sniper95 because this guy was a real military badass who was a sniper who fought in like the Gulf War. So he's there, um, you know, and he's attempting to build up speed 
and scramble across a series of obstacles. Um, you know, basically his fight or flight instinct is on overload, basically. It's like taking a shitload of cocaine and then being confronted with fighting, uh, you know, two professional badasses. Um, his partner gets eliminated, and so Sniper95 had to survive for an entire minute against a tag team known as Sparta, who is made up of uh, the fighter previously mentioned named Gladiator and another fighter named Asgul, who is even more badass than Boromir now that I'm thinking about it, because the Asgul is fucking that thing that the fucking Witch King rides on in Lord of the Rings. And, um... These guys are two fucking really skilled fighters, and they play really well off each other. And their only goal at that moment is to finish Sniper 95 off. And I'm not making this up. Within 10 seconds, they have this guy on the ground, and Gladiator locks him in a fucking Kurt Angle-like ankle lock, but for real. And uh, Asgul locks him in like a fucking arm bar, and then turns it into the fucking Rings of Saturn, but for real. Like, they're using these locks to basically make this guy tap out. It's no, like, oh, let's play this for time. Uh, is he going to tap out? Is he not? They're, they're, they're fucking wrenching these things on. And Sniper95 is sitting there screaming with two separate submission attempts on him at once. And all he has to do is last one minute. If he if he did, him and his friend would, uh, him and his teammate would advance to the next round, uh, to the next show. They, they'd win this episode. If he taps out, him and his team are gone. They go home. Um... And I'm not going to tell you how it happens. I want you to actually look it up and watch it for yourself. It's on YouTube. Um, I will tell you a little bit more how they score the points. Points are scored by uh, solid strikes, clean ground and pound fucking hitting, full-on submissions, knockdowns are worth three points, and eliminating an opponent is worth five points. Um, and I was actually really surprised by the quality of these athletes and the skills that they put on display. This was far from a tough man level competition. These were young, professional class fighters engaging in full-on intense battles. And uh, the vibe is very different from what you'd find in like an MMA or traditional cage fight. There are uh, two referees on site who are clearly put a premium on the fighter safety because they break up the action quickly if things seem to be getting out of hand. I mean, they rush in. And these guys in, in and of themselves seem to be some badass guys. Um, you know, the athletes are there to win it. They're in it to win it. But you never get the sense that they're actually trying to hurt their opponents either. They're very professional. They're there to do a job. And it's, it's awesome. Um, you know, the punches and kicks are thrown with full power. But, you know, there's a real sign of sportsmanship. And, you know, they've had uh, three seasons in Russia at this point, or uh, they're, they're getting ready for their third season in Russia. And um, the action apparently only ramps up as it goes on. I've heard that uh, the guy, one of the guys from Shark Tank, I don't know his name, um, I'm, uh, Cuban something, Mark Cuban? Yeah, that's it, Mark Cuban. He has found out about this show as well and wants to bring it here for American audiences, hopefully by uh, 2020 for their fall lineup, and I'm all about it. Bring me hip show. I want to see four grown men beating the fuck out of each other inside of a fucking obstacle course. Uh, that is just straight up awesome, and I want that show to be a real thing. I mean, it is a real thing, but I want it to be, I want to see the Americanized version. Uh, you know, I'm sure it'll get overly played out, though. It'll probably be hosted by, like, Hulk Hogan and, uh, you know, it'll be, they'll, they'll, they'll scale down the fighting. Because anywhere else but America, shows like this are far better. It's, you know, you go to Russia, and it's like, you know, they're basically doing everything but pulling out knives on each other. 
in a sportsmanlike fashion. You bring it to America, and it'll be like, okay, you can make them submit, but you know, pull back on your punches, and it'll be worse than it is over there. So I'll, I'll stick with the, uh, I'll check it out, but I'll still stick with the the Russian version. Um, okay, that being said, a lot of you people, uh, and, uh, you know, I apologize for using the term "you people," but uh, a lot of my listeners know know me, and they know that I work in retail. Um, that being said, uh, I told you before about why no retail associate should ever be forced to talk to a customer and vice versa, why no customer should ever want to talk to a retail associate. But I'm going to tell you now how to deal with an angry customer. We've, we've gone past the, they're not, they don't want to talk to you. This guy comes in angry. This person comes in angry and they're, they're there to talk to you, more than likely to yell at you um, so about some grievance they feel you are responsible for be it you know their home appliance didn't work or uh you know their playstation stopped working and they're going to throw it at you on black friday or because they didn't buy it there they still feel like you should replace it for them uh for free um you know some some grievance so a customer comes into your store and here's exactly how you deal with an angry customer all right so imagine yourself close your eyes put yourself in your in 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 the spot you've got your your retail uniform on you're sitting there You've just finished uh, ringing up another customer. Uh, you know, shake their hand. They leave. Uh oh. They open the door for somebody who comes charging in, but angry Johnny son of a bitch, and uh, he's there filled with real rage. So he's gonna come up to you and he's gonna say, "Hi, um, I have a problem, and uh, I want to know what you're gonna do for me." Well, first thing you do is you acknowledge his rage with a friendly greeting and a smile. Make it very clear right off the bat, that you likely had no involvement in why they are now angry and illustrate how this problem could easily have been avoided had they either purchased some sort of uh, extended warranty or, um, you know, uh, decided to have it professionally installed instead of trying to hook it up themselves like a jackass. You know, basically, basically politely put the blame back on them and make them feel small. Then you offer them a cup of water. You provide them next with a phone number for an overseas call center where they're most likely going to deal with somebody who speaks poor, poor English. This will diffuse the situation. Then you offer them no further assistance whatsoever, regardless of their anger or subsequent visits after the overseas call center does not solve their issue. That is how you deal with an angry customer. I, it, you know, so Like I said, angry Johnny son of a bitch comes in. Uh, hi. hi, what 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 seems to be the problem? Yeah, I bought uh, I bought a uh, stove from you, and uh, I hooked it up, and uh, you know it 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 the one of the burners went. Okay, well, did you have a two do you have a two twenty line in your house? Because to run a, a electric stove these days, you're going to need a, a two twenty line. Uh, anything other is just going to short out the electronic components because they're just more complex than they used to be. Well, they shouldn't be. Well, they are. Uh, did you have it professionally installed with the two twenty line? No. Oh. Oh man, well, please. I, I hope that you have your extended protection agree- agreement. I hope that you bought an extended warranty. No, I didn't. Those things are a waste of my money. Oh man, oh man. Here, can I get you a glass of water? Um, here, I'm going to give you this number to call. I want you to call them and explain what's going on. They should be able to handle it. Who, who's this? This is a call to our help center. They should be able to take care of everything from there. Okay, thank you. Well, what if? Thank you very much, sir. And, you know, that's, that's it. That's how you handle an angry customer. Period. I don't care where you work, what type of retail environment it is, what your bosses say. That's how you do it. 
you make it clear that you had no involvement whatsoever in how their in how their problem occurred and that it's likely their fault give them the cup of water the cup of water is paramount the cup of water throws them off it's like being in a fight and throwing up jazz hands no one knows what to do with that um, then you give them the phone number to the overseas call center they now feel like they have someone they can yell at and it's not going to be you and then no further assistance you just cut ties with them from that point on i don't care how many times they come back you direct them to someone else give them the same phone number another glass of water off they go you know because eventually they're going to get sick of dealing with you they're going to see that you have no interest in helping them and they're going to go to a higher up who in turn is also not going to help them and won't be able to give them a higher a glass of water because they're not physically there in person so that's how you do that um okay so last episode i talked about bullet man who I said at the time was the worst hero I could find. And that was true. He was the worst hero I could find at that time. Now, I have found a uh, much worse hero than Bullet Man, and that's just because I decided to dig a little deeper. Excuse me. Okay, so last episode I told you about Bullet Man, the worst hero that I could find. And that was true. At that time, that was true. But I found... Through my digging, through my research, I found a hero that is clearly worse than Bullet Man. And I'm going to tell you about him now. And I'm going to start this off by telling you that the 1940s must have been a very special time to be alive. And I say this because, again, I found a hero who is just as bad, if not slightly worse, than Bullet Man. And that is, in and of itself, a quite the feat to pull off. So, in the 1940s, there were a group of true maniacs who published Weird Comics. Um, and in Weird Comics number one, uh, this, per- this particular set of comics, rather, was populated by wizards and superheroes who slaughtered each other in adventures that were barely coherent enough to establish a plot before everyone except that the one character, one main character was dead. And uh, one reason for this was that the protagonists were hardly ever the good guys, which I kind of liked, because in the, in the era where you were getting used to Superman... Superman's been around for a whole decade almost at this point. Uh, There's the Batman. You know, you get weird comics, and they have these bad guys who are the main characters. You know, like uh, there was the evil sorceress, Sorceress of Zoom, who was a space queen who murdered for a while before her stories just simply ended. They just ended them. Um, No, no, no cathartic ending or anything. No, no real details. It's just like, oh, we just don't do those anymore. Uh, Then there was the Voodoo Man. And that was exactly basically what it sounds like. And then there was Dr. Mortal, who unleashed monsters for reasons that were never explained. Um, I personally imagine that Weird Comics was read mostly by people frantically searching through uh, debris in the trunk of uh, a car after they had been kidnapped. But, uh, you know, that's just me. But they, they did have a superhero. And the first and greatest superhero of Weird Comics was a character called Dynamite Thor... The Explosion Man. Um, Dynamite Thor the Explosion Man was basically a... Okay, he was like a fusion, like a combination of all the worst parts of Bruce Wayne and uh, the Unabomber. So you take the Unabomber and you take everything that's not cool about Bruce Wayne and you put those together in one character and that's that's Dynamite Thor the Explosion Man. Um, And Dynamite Thor only had a total of five five total adventures before they're just they just were like nope we're not doing that anymore because weird comics again had just a way of just cutting cutting off a uh cutting off a set of stories just at random just on a whim 
Um, but let me tell you, I, I, I found online and read all five of his adventures. And in all five of him, all five of those adventures of Dynamite Thor, nearly everything he did involved him bombing people in, in spectacular ways rather with dynamite. That's all he did. He heard about a crime, he went to that crime, and then he blew it up with dynamite. Um, the thing about Dynamite Thor is that dynamite was more than just a solution to his problems. It was how he did everything. Um, but it always worked. Di throwing dynamite always worked. He tossed it. He, there's literally an, an issue where he tosses a stick of dynamite at police who are involved in a shootout just to get their attention. And the cops get one look at this man dressed in a dozen sticks of TNT and zero pairs of pants who just thrown explosives at them and they instantly put him in charge of negotiations uh, with, the, with the people they're in the shootout with. And do you know what, uh, you want to guess what Dynamite uh, Thor's plans for these negotiations were? Well, if you guessed fucking Dynamite, you're right. I cannot, okay, I cannot overstate how little Dynamite Thor did other than throw dynamite. Um, the only cliffhanger in a Dynamite Thor adventure uh, is whether he will stop the enemy by bombing an object near them or just simply blowing them up. Um, in the short window of time between his first and second appearance, it must have occurred to the producers that uh, the idea could never last uh, because they got crazy with it. You know, he was... Uh, his backstory is that he was an accidentally awesome mistake basically created by an idiot madman. Um, he's covered in nitroglycerin, for fuck's sake, uh, and if any, if any bad guy punches him, everything's going to go to shit. So instead of replacing him entirely between issue one and issue two of Dynamite Thor, they added a superpower to him, the perfect superpower. Uh, suddenly, and for no discernible reason whatsoever, he became immune to the effect of explosions. Not bullets, not stabbing, not getting run over or thrown into a large rotating fan blade, just the effects of explosions. Um, and also, between his first and second appearance, he apparently exploded the entire mafia of the United States and had moved overseas to fight the Nazis. It was the 40s, so yeah, that was a common thing. That's pretty much Captain America's whole backstory. But Dynamite Thor did it too. And um, how do you think that uh, Dynamite Thor did it? I'll give you another guess. Was your guest lob hunks of dynamite or sticks of dynamite at them? If you if it was, you guessed correctly. Um, so besides being able to log lob a stick of dynamite at pretty much anyone, dynamite Thor could also fly. He um, did this, of course, by throwing dynamite. He would drop dynamite sticks behind him, and they would propel him, the explosion would kick him through the air. Um, he does not have a care in the world for anybody that's being hurt by these explosions, so long as he was making good time. And it's truly terrifying to me how many, uh, how many sticks of dynamite it took, because there were pages filled with, with panels filled with dynamite Thor traveling like this. This is the only way he traveled. This guy fucking dropped a nude stick of dynamite every six feet, and he traveled like this all day, all day long. He should barely have any dynamite left to throw at Nazis, but somehow he did. Um, again, sadly, Dynamite Thor's entire series was canceled after only five issues. 
so he never got the opportunity to punch uh, a rampaging animal or say anything racist like most superheroes of the 40s did. Um, you know, like I said, those were very common occurrences in the 40s. You can watch any or go back to any 1940s Superman uh, thing, and he's going to say something that's unintentionally racist, or he's going to punch like a giant gorilla or something like this. And uh, But Dynamite Thor, he was canceled too quickly. He never got a chance to do that. Um, and I guess since slinging sticks of dynamite was his only ability, his uh, you know enemies were all basically sp splintered hunks of uh, muscle and slop long before he was able able ever to uh, you know arrest any of them to become an arch enemy, uh, depriving him of a longer lineage and the ability to fight people more than once. Um, dynamite Thor didn't care though. If he couldn't solve a problem by blowing it up, he just couldn't solve that problem. That, that's how Dynamite Thor lived his life. And, uh, you know, who am I to judge? Who am I to tell him how to live his life? So that was uh, Dynamite Thor. Um, okay, so the other day was uh, Valentine's Day. And to that, I have to say, Happy Valentine's Day, you fucking perverts. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, fetishes. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, getting the kinks out. We're going to talk a little bit about rubbing grundles. Okay? So, um... You know, one popular misconception that I found personally about fetishes is that it's, you know, people just think it's just something fun. Uh, something that's nice to have, but, uh, you know, you don't need. Something that you can do without. Uh, you know, like that special thing your partner does for you on your birthday. I don't know what that is. I don't know what you guys do in your, in your you know, personal lives. Maybe, maybe you like to dress up like, uh, you know, fucking uh, Peter Gabriel or some shit. I don't fucking know. Um, you know, we all have that, we all have something that we like to do or that our partner likes to do or likes us to do. And it's, it's, you know, it's fun. And, th and that's, that's true for some people, you know, it's just something special. Uh, but there are other people out there and it's uh, these people, these other people, it's either fetish or nothing at all. If the sex is going to happen, it has to be involved. And it's, you know, it gets really, really intense. Some people out there like fire, uh, some like puppets, some like, you know, simple things like ass play, and others are more hardcore, like steel chains or small doses of radiation. Um, it's hard enough to tell your partner, though, that you like a little butt stuff every now and then, uh, now and again. Uh, can you imagine if you were, A, into being set on fire, and B, you needed that in order to be able to be sexually satisfied? Can you fucking imagine what that would be like? It wouldn't be unreasonable to expect that partner to just vanish in a in a cloud of cartoon smoke, leaving a cartoon shaped uh, cl a cartoon cloud in the shape of them in their in their in their wake, you know they'd probably be going to the nearest police station. Um, so even though most people who have fetishes, even extreme ones, are totally harmless, you still have to worry about what folks will think of you if they ever find out. You know. And there's a good chance, regardless of what kind of person you are and what your experiences in life have been, that you found yourself entertaining thoughts at one time or another that made you uncomfortable. You know, that's, that's natural. Um, you know, maybe something caught your attention, something that part of you felt is maybe not even wrong, but uh, certainly three steps left to center, and uh, definitely mentally irregular, you know? Maybe the question in your mind is, what the hell do I do with this weird ass fetish that I seem to have? You know, and, and we live in a world that is, for the most part, both obsessed with and also equally disgusted by sex. Uh, sex is everywhere, but only filth is the kind of sex that goes on before 10, 10 o'clock at night. Only filth 
is the kind of sex that ever goes on between, um, that goes beyond, rather, a man and a woman kissing and maybe engaging in a little nipple play. Um, you know, any, anything other than that is absolute filth, according to uh, the prudish world we live in. And so we tolerate, in small doses, of course, more of the risque stuff on our HBOs or Cinemaxes, but never in real life. You know, and for evidence of this, look at how many people online still use the fucking word pervert. I said the word pervert, and that's a go-to term for anyone who has any kind of sex that isn't missionary between two God-fearing middle Americans. And if that's you, then you need to flee in every direction of the internet right away, because I promise you, sooner or later, you're going to see something you don't want to. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's, uh, it's an evolutionary imperative. Um, you know, now, the thing to acknowledge about all this is that it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit and posturing. That's all. How many of those people who condemn somebody for a blowjob or homosexuality or promiscuity aren't engaging in sim similar activities themselves behind closed doors? And more importantly, why the fuck should it matter? Why does where I put my ball sack matter to anyone? So long as I'm not putting it in your lunchbox, you shouldn't give a fuck where my ball sack is. Um, and that's essentially the problem that we all face. What we, what, we, what we do will be judged. And it's natural to fear that. It's natural to fear being treated like you're weird or wrong. We can say, oh, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, all we like. But it's, it's harder to live that way. You know, you've got to definitely have like a steel resolve and be utterly confident to live that way. Um, you know, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't either. It shouldn't matter what anybody else thinks, however. Uh, but we, again, we live in a society with one another, so what other people think is going to matter, even to a small degree. Um, but you shouldn't have to be the one to change or hide when the thing other people think about is fucking stupid. And uh, that's the way it should be. Not how it is, that's how it should be. How it is, is you get the stink eye when someone finds out that you like to fuck somebody while she's dressed, while they're dressed like Mayor McCheese. You know, it's very likely that um, you keep your sexual weirdness on a very low boil and don't walk around with a sign that says, I have true two Transformer action figures in my ass and a sexy tattoo of Captain Planet. That's cool. No one, not, not everyone needs to know about our, our proclivities. Um, does it have any bearing on uh, your banking uh, your Burger King order, uh, your chat with a stranger on the bus. No, it has uh, no, it has none, no, no bearing on any of that. So what you like to do in private is cool, you know. Um, but the problem is that in private we can still face that fear of laying it all out. There's a fear of approaching someone who you trust enough to rub rub grundles with, and proposing something new and different. What if the thing that turns you on disgusts them? What if they flee? half-dressed in the night, panicking about how you want them to wear a Professor Xavier mask while they treat your balls like Wolverine. Listen, that fear is crazy. There is an entire world of really crazy shit out there, a lot of which I've been telling you about on this podcast, in this episode. I mean, for real. Some people like butt stuff and throat fisting and beef busting, but who the hell is into inserting metal rods into their urethra or riding dildos shaped like Ricardo Maltobon? And how do you get into it? You know, bringing up your thing with somebody else is often one of the most frightening parts of a relationship. If you're the kind of person who can just say to anyone, I'd love to eat some spam out of your bum, uh, know that you are both rare and envied. Because for the rest of us, it's a hell of a leap of faith. You know, sometimes the hard part 
of understanding any kind of kink or fetish is the separation of fantasy and reality. And this is probably exemplified most easily in something like a rape fantasy. You know, the fantasy is actually surprisingly common. And, um, you know, believe it or not, there's like 67% of women admitting to them, that, admitting in surveys that they personally have a rape fantasy, but they'd never tell their boyfriend or their husband about it. And, uh, you know, for the love of God, uh, don't go thinking that that means that any woman actually wants to be raped. Please, because they don't. Don't be that fucking guy that goes, oh, well, Chad said that uh, women like like to be raped. Don't don't be that guy. Don't do that. Women don't like to be raped. It's a fantasy. You know, and that's, the, again, the separation of fantasy and reality. The fantasy is, yeah, I, I, I would kind of maybe get into that. The reality is I, I do not want to be actually raped by a stranger. So, you know, make sure you separate those two. Because the big difference between having a fantasy and making it a reality is that one is real and one is not. You can entertain a fantasy uh, that maybe you're a pirate, but that doesn't mean you should cut your fucking leg off and get a peg leg or uh, go get a hook hand. You know, and some people just don't aren't able to get that. It's a cliche defense you'll see on a police, uh, on like those police procedural dramas that a rapist would say, "Oh, uh, his victim liked rough sex, and that's all that happened." Well, so what? Rape isn't rough sex, and fantasy isn't reality. Becoming okay with the idea that your fantasy isn't inviting a horrible reality down upon you is hard. The darker the fantasy, the more fear that it means something about you as a person and, you know, something that you want is bad or that you are bad. And you're probably not. Uh, hopefully not. You know, I have to say probably because there's always someone out there who wants to bring up illegal activities. There's always that one motherfucker who's like, ah, oh, well, you know, I'm kind of into uh, dressing like a baby or I like kids, you know, like like pedophilia. Don't Don't be a fucking pedophile. Because if you're a pedophile, if that's your thing, I, I have to break your teeth. I have to. And, and unfortunately, you're going to have to let me because you, you're into kids. That's fucked up. That's gross. Don't do that. Don't be that fucking guy. You know what? I'd rather you be the rape guy. Go be the rapey guy instead of being the kids guy. And, and for, the, that fact, for the matter of fact, don't be any of them. Don't be either of those. Um, you know, in, in fact, this is where I'll say that the whole thing about safe, consensual acts that do not victimize or harm anyone, or exploit anyone, uh, not in a position to be an equal consenting partner in that sexual interaction is, uh, you know, very important. Okay, are we all on the same page now? Good. Um, moving on. It is worth mentioning that for some of these to work, you need a baffling level of commitment. Like, if you're down with the hardcore bondage, you not only need to buy the supplies, but you need to actually learn complex knot tying like some sort of fucking boy scout and role play is just just holy shit to that um the whole idea of role play is actually really common but getting into like a dedicated role play is hard if you're not super into the idea you know uh this takes what i said before about sharing a fantasy to the next level because now it's not just hey i like pickles please fuck me with a pickle no now it's, uh, I need you to take on the role of a sex-obsessed pickle maker while I immerse myself in the persona of a donkey-dicked hitchhiker who gets stranded at the pickle festival. You come across me at the main gate, and I stand there drinking a jar of pickle juice, and you are instantly smitten. Following A, and then you just go from there. You know, see how detailed that was? Role-playing requires that 
you not only have your sexual encounter, but you make it a whole story at the same time. And sure, probably some people are happy to weave in and out of the fantasy as the mood strikes, but some people don't. Some people have a uniform and a personality shift and appropriate props and an entire backdrop laid out like it's some fucking game of D&D. Literally, some fucking game of D&D. Um, you know, but again, I'm not here to judge. I don't tell you how to live your life. Some people are willing to commit to that level of effort for a partner, and that can't be easy. If you want your partner to pretend they're Miss, uh, Mrs. Ockmonic and you're Alf, and the only way you can get back to Melmac is by fucking her brains out, then go for it. But you better establish that your partner is super turned on by Alf. Um, they probably are. Most people are. You can even get like a cardboard cutout of Willie Tanner and have it peering through the window. And, uh, you know, think of it this way. At least Alf will finally be able to eat a cat. Boom! Oh, man, you have no, no idea how long it took me to write that. <laughs> uh, okay, so now, uh, what do you do? Close your eyes for me. Imagine you're someplace romantic, like a beach at sunset or uh, in the alleyway behind your local Chipotle. Um, you know, you're with that special someone, and you're slapping your genital flaps together, and things are going so awesome that you're probably sure that you're pretty sure you want to spend every day like this. Or, or, but really, do you? There is an issue with sexual precedent you'll probably need to work out with any long-term partner. Example, if your thing is getting slapped in the face with a burrito while you jerk off uh, into a shoe, is that a deal breaker? You have to find that out. Would you have to do it every time? Chances are your partner is going to want to shake it up every so often, and if you have a recurring pervasive fantasy, that, that can become a problem. Okay, so here comes the pure terror. Someone might ask if... You know, someone might ask... You might think to yourself, someone might ask me if I feel I weren't satisfying enough on their own. If they weren't satisfying me on their own. They might think that this fantasy needs to be included for me to feel satisfied by them. And the weird truth is, no, it doesn't need to be included. And yes, they are beyond satisfying enough. I, if I'm being completely honest, I, I found this out a lot from experience. And at that point, I thought, uh, you know, I'm not going to say what it was, but there, there was some stuff that we used to do that I thought she was into too. It didn't turn out as much. And uh, so essentially, we were both partially engaging in it for ourselves, but also because we thought the other person expected or wanted it, uh, which wasn't true. And as a result, it made the whole thing kind of sad and awkward. Uh, but what I learned is that communication is your friend. Honest and frequent interactions based on trust is pretty much the only thing in any relationship, no matter how serious, but it's also a good way to get your nuts buttered like freshly made toast or tied up and whipped by someone dressed like Rolf from the Muppets. And also keep everyone happy and sexually satisfied. And guess what? The, think you, the shit you think is mentally irregular is probably normal as hell in the grand scheme of what floats people's boats. So even if you like to slather your genitals in ranch dressing and wiggle them around yelling, 10-piece McNuggets, just remember that you're not the weirdest person in the room. You aren't. And to establish this, I'm now going to tell you about some fetishes that actually exist. So, one of the first ones I came across was the fetish that literally says, aliens make you have sex. Um... You know, it's like a power play thing. I, I understand how power play stuff gets people ready to rub grundles, um, which is my new favorite phrase, by the way. But, you know, I, I still wonder how the fuck aliens got involved. Um, you know, and how do you even set up this scene? Does it require more than two people? Because who gets who's playing the alien? Is 
uh, playing the alien the shitty role because you don't actually get to participate in any of the sex? Or, or, or do you? Is one person strapped down to like a steel table? You know, I genuinely want to know all these things. How, how does the aliens make you have sex fetish work? You know, and again, I'm not knocking it. It's just it's not my thing. It might be. I, if I find out more, I might, be, I might get into it. Um, one of the odder ones I stumbled across was uh, socio-political role play. Um, and I, I, at first the thought that came to mind is I'm like, I wonder if this is what the teenagers who are in the model UN do when the chaperones backs are turned, like in high school, you know, is this what the, is this what we were supposed to do instead of talking politics? Uh, you know, whenever we were on chaperone. So do they sneak into each other's rooms and role play like race relations in South Africa? Do you try to fuck in the, the slave cabinets at cabins at Mount Vernon? Uh, does Eiffel towering get involved? And, uh, because it seems like that would be the right time for this. And does it take on a whole separate meaning? Um, I need to know exactly what point did somebody or a group of people run out of ideas, though, and say, well, we could pretend it's politics. You know, that's hot, right? I, I don't get that. Not for me, but I do want to find out more. Um, another fetish is surprises. Um, you know, surprise, element of surprise. Uh, surprises. I legitimately, however, don't know how this one works. Uh, when I stumbled upon it, it just said the word surprises. So, um, you know, there was no real detail behind it. It could be, could it be about having to go rub one out in your office bathroom or, uh, receiving an unexpected edible arrangement all shaped like dicks? Um, has accidental pregnancy ever made anyone horny? Like, uh, you know, what is surprises? Or, you know, is it like, here's a leak in your house, so your water bill is like $1,000, like and your landlord won't help you pay for it, so you have to fuck them. Because I'm seriously at a loss. I don't know what surprises means whenever it means sexual fetish. Or just could it be possibly any surprise at all? I don't know. Um, another fetish I came across literally just called ham sandwich. Ham sandwich. Okay, so it's another one with only a title, and I'm left to my own devices to figure it out. Ham sandwich could literally mean anything from, like, sexy food play to covering yourself in ham and getting sandwiched between two guys. Um, you know, I, I'm not usually at a loss when it comes to this stuff, but this is just vague enough to literally literally be whatever you want to assign the term ham sandwich to. And, I, I, I again, I, I embrace that. I, I, I completely say go for it. Um, another one is horses. Um, you know, I'm going to start it off like this. Horses, uh, BDSM sometimes involves some pretty outrageous costumes. You know, it go, it's the kind of goes with the territory. Um, yet, pretending to be a horse, or horses together, or however you do it, manages to go beyond the general gimp mask and latex vibe of regular fetish gear to me. Um, I assume that there's probably a saddle involved. Uh, my logical mind tells me that the saddle probably has a dildo on it, and I'm guessing the person wearing the saddle is the horse, and so someone rides the horse saddle and then gets fucked by the horse. Is that how that works? Um, I, I don't know, but it, it's a fetish. People are into it, and more power to them. Um, polyamory. Polyamory is a fancy Greek word for open relationship, which is a fancy English phrase for we can fuck whoever we want, but we still love each other and are together. Um, and honest to God, believe it or not, science actually says that polyamorous uh, relationships are the best kind. Um, you know, but why would I trust science? Here's the, here's the guy who would hang out behind 7-Elevens near my house. Uh, you know, sci science, rather, is the guy that just hangs out behind the 7-Eleven near my house and tries to sell experimental bear tranquilizers to me. Um, I bet he's never even kissed a girl. He wouldn't know anything. Uh, no, but the truth is, seriously, science, science is right. Uh, because both parties 
are out there sowing their wild oats or having wild oats sown on them or, you know, whatever it is. But communication becomes extremely necessary in a polyamorous uh, relationship. And this actually brings the couple themselves closer together. Um, that's, of course, you got to get past, like, the jealousy, uh, possessiveness, and not wanting your partners to enjoy themselves um, unless you're the one that's sweating all over them factors. But if you can do that, if you're comfortable with that, then, you know, a polyamorous relationship, actually, there's far less divorce rates, people are happier because, you know, sometimes sex is just sex. Sometimes sex is just sex. You know, it's just an animal instinct that we're all created with. And the truth be told, human beings, we're, we're not meant to be a, uh, you know, species that mates for life. We, we're attracted to various other things about various other people at various other times, you know? Does that mean that we're not in love or committed to one person? No. But, you know, doesn't mean like, you know, you always hear... Uh, from relationships, you always hear people say, oh, well, I caught her looking at that guy. Yeah, and it starts with that. So you could either A, get pissed off about it, or B, embrace it. Be like, oh, that's hot. I'd like to see you fuck that guy. You know, and maybe somewhere in between. You know, it doesn't always have to be that extreme. But, you know, it's a it's a fetish, and it's a very popular one in the United States. It's actually, I read that um, 87% of all couples have at least uh, thought about it, even if they haven't discussed it with each other. 87% of all couples. That's a lot. That's like almost all of us. Um, another fetish is gender bending. So um, gender bending. Sometimes you're a guy who wants to pretend to be the girl. And your girl pretends to be the guy in, in bed. There can be elaborate costumes and characters involved. You can spend, if you're a dude, you can spend eight hours shaving all your man hairs and get uh, makeup horribly slopped on your face because no guy is good at putting on makeup, period. Um... Your lady friend then can spend her time getting all the hair that you shaved off and gluing it onto her face to make like a makeshift beard and she can wear like a realistic looking strap on. You know, that's all up to you. That's all how you, up to you how you do it. But gender bending is a very, very big uh, fetish. And the, those, those that are into it, they, they really commit to it. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a manly man and I do man stuff and my girl's a girly girl and she does, uh, you know, she's into like princesses and girl stuff. But when we're in the bedroom, we flip that shit every time and there are people that like that and you know that's cool more power to you um piggyback rides um you know i i, I kind of got a weird feeling about piggyback rides because I, I associate piggyback rides with children on their parents shoulders at fairs and you know maybe the occasional drunken night of transporting a passed out friend to a taxi or something like that um i likely you you likely rather don't think of this as a turn-on unless it's in a pool and you've got like you know maybe like a hot guy underneath you if you're a girl or a hot girl up on your shoulders if you're a guy and you know you're arousing like the whole chicken fight game which according to every movie i've seen involves everybody ending up naked um you know but then there are just people who are fetishists who just get off by riding on the shoulders of other people and i imagine that it revolves entirely around trust and security uh oh and and crazy trust security and crazy um because I, I just can't see how that would be arousing uh, or get you off. But, uh, you know, it's not my thing. It might be your thing, and I'm not knocking it. I'm not calling you bad. It's just not my thing. Alrighty. So, I've got more awful sex toys. And uh, these ones are just, these are the creme de la creme. So, the first one on there is called the dream. Have you ever had that awful dream 
where everything is suddenly after you, everything's eyes or teeth or, or maybe vaginas. How would that last one even be a nightmare? Hmm? Well, I can tell you that it would. It would. In fact, uh, there's a fairly, I have fairly decent proof that because once upon a time, some poor Wang saw that very dream, woke up drenched in what I'm going to politely refer to as excitement, and uh, then proceeded to craft the dream. I don't know where to begin uh, with, this, with this item. Uh, there's the fact that it's a tiny hunk of silicone that's covered with vaginas and maybe like the errant butthole thrown in there, because why not? Um, but there's also the fact that it somehow advertises itself as non-penetrative. Uh, which immediately defeats the entire purpose of this horror log that's uh, completely and or it uh, it completely and utterly defeats the purpose of this this fucking thing because if it's covered with vaginas and buttholes, how is it non-penetrative? Um, it does have one opening, and um, when you see the opening, you it, it's terrifying. Uh, you would literally need to possess like a duck-style corkscrew dick to even get close to conquering that opening. Um, you know, but even that's not the dumbest and most unnerving thing about this rubbery mani manifestation of, so of, of sociopathy. Uh, that, and that literally would be the best way to describe the product. If the main selling point of your nightmare product is baby skin, even more realistically than actual skin, please release your hostages, wait for the cops to arrive, and try not to make any furniture out of their faces. Because that is the, that is the line, that is the advertising line for the dream. It's like baby skin, even more realistic than actual skin. What in the fuck, man? What did I just say to you earlier about fucking pedophilia? What did I just say about rape? What did I just say about not being that fucking guy? And now you now you hit me up with this fucking it's it's basically a flesh log that I'm assuming you made out of a dead baby and covered in fucking vaginas and buttholes. Well, good for you. Good for you. Call Ed Gein, because I'm sure he would want one. Maybe uh, maybe he was your inspiration for it in the first place. But, uh, yeah, that it's, it's a nightmare product. Um, the next one on the list is literally called Oomph. And, uh, you know, I'll let your minds sunk, sink that one. Let that one sink into your minds for a while. Oomph. So, uh, we're talking about sex toys, and we're talking about one called Oomph. What could that possibly be? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's a transparent, inflatable doll. Um, unless you are Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters, I'm pretty sure that ghosts aren't high on the scale of your preferred erotic encounter. Um, it's probably not even... It's, it's definitely near the bottom. Um, and you'd think that the sex toy industry would never stoop so low as to assume that you would want to fuck a ghost, right? Wrong. Oomph is a uh, half-body, transparent, inflatable sex doll male masturbation toy. And it's basically a uh, cheap-ass blow-up doll everyone first pictures when they imagine a sex doll. Only it's see-through and cut in half at the waist. So it's just from the waist down, and it's completely see-through. Why? I do not know. I cannot tell you. I guess transparency could add a visual element if you like to watch your own dong plowing a nondescript inflatable mass of hips and sadness. Um, but regardless of how you see it, no part of this is really justifiable because you are either a weirdo who's into banging discount trash bags 
or you're the weirdo who saw a full-bodied blow-up doll and said, yeah, that's nice, I guess, but it would really improve my erection if the victim was a, if it was a victim of tragic dismemberment. You know, um, what really made this toy for me, though, is how the manufacturer has taken all these mediocre ingredients of awfulness and just combined them to make a genuinely impressive uh, exercise in what the fuckery. It's light, unpleasant to look at, crafted from the most generically awful materials they could find, and, of course, almost certainly uncomfortable as shit to use. Uh, still, if you're into ghost boning, the oomph might be worth, worth your time. The next one... And I literally have to light a smoke for this. The next one on the list is called the Scorpenis. The Scorpenis. You know, I've talked about sex toys before. And if I've learned one thing, it's this. It's always bad news if the only way I can start an entry is with a comparison to John Carpenter's movie The Thing. It's always bad news. It's always a bad sign. Um, and with that being said, have you ever seen John Carpenter's movie The Thing? Specifically the monster in the movie, the, tit the, the titular thing? You remember that shape-shifting shape fucking creature of body horror? It, it was a dog and it became like a mass of God the fuck knows what. It turned into fucking Wilford Brimley and then turned into what the fuck ever after the fact. Now, wouldn't it be nice if it stopped... Uh, absorbing and morphing into terrifying animal monsters and instead focused entirely on imitating dicks? No. That would be horrifying. Well, tough titties because that's the Scorpenus. That thing is an impressively accurate representation of what a shape-shifting alien might turn into if it had to intimidate, or imitate, rather, male genitalia and also be part snake or part scorpion. Um, or all of these things at once. It's overtly ribbed and has uh, a testicular region that is essentially a coiled, scaly tail. Um, it's basically a dick made up of everything that evolution has taught you to fear. And um, it was all, this is all an afterthought to the creators. It does have a companion piece, though. The Lotus Pussy. Um... So the same people that decided that Kurt Russell versus a shape-shifting alien had all the subtext of dildos written all over it and didn't want to leave uh, men out of uh, the fun thought to themselves, uh, let's create the Lotus Pussy, which, again, is probably completely 100% inspired by the movie The Thing. Um, it looks like the main villain in a horror movie right off the bat. It has 12 pussies on it. And they're all in the middle of forming a gigantic mega pussy whose only goal could possibly be to absorb everything in its path. Um, seriously, if you survive the encounter with the terror cock that is the Scorpenus, then I imagine that this fucking thing, uh, the Lotus Pussy, crawls out from the shadows and eats your face. If it were a movie, it would end with it waving its, uh, its nipple feelers at the camera and bellowing some utterly unearthly sound. Like... <laughs> Like that. It would be fucking utterly terrifying. But it exists. Look them up. Scorpenus? Lotus Pussy. Terrifying. But they exist. Now, there's a product called Shagzol. Which, to me, sounds like a, some sort of old carpet cleaner. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody out there needs to fuck the same way. That would be horrifying. 
each and every one of us needs to find our own thing and run with it as best as we can, as long as we're not hurting anybody without, like, an appointed safe word. Um, but if you need a goddamn reciprocating saw to fucking do that, then you're probably doing sex wrong, because some fuckers out there are actually making boning adapters for electrical drills and saws. How many people do you trust enough? Let me, let me pose a question to you, avid listener. How many people do you trust enough to take a Black & Decker to your pelvic region? Is it your significant other? Maybe it's your mom. Is it me? Nope. None of those. Not a single person in the world is trustworthy enough to do that. Especially not people who enthusiastically suggest it. Those are not the people that you want. So, stay away from the Shagzall. And then even worse than the Shagzall is the R1A10 Cyclone, which in and of itself sounds like some sort of fucking like military aircraft. This fucking thing, from the sight of it, it just appears to be like a goofy-ass appliance that um, specializes in slowly sanding dicks into oblivion. Um, it clearly takes its design, design aesthetic from what I consider to be the sexiest of all household appliances, the blender. And uh, I think this could be the most frightening one on the list, which is saying something considering that I included a, a giant mass of artificial vaginas that, want to, that wants to attack your face and a, uh, a dis dismembered ghost uh, that's only, only available from the hips down. So saying that, this one is, you know, sh should show you how terrifying it is. One... The product shouldn't look and act like its only available settings are destroy and obliviate. And two, it should at least be somewhat intuitive to use. And it does not seem to follow either of these rules. Um, it's not an easy-to-use sex toy. It's something Chuck Norris takes in the wilderness with him to, ch to nunchuck wolverines, probably. Um, it's got a fucking glow stick with it for emergencies. It says this on the box. Has a, it, it says glow stick... For emergencies. Why in the fuck would you need that? What are you using it at? A truck stop? What, what emergencies that require a glow stick should come with a sex toy? I, I do got to give credit to the company that made this though. Because in a world where people start slapping each other with lawsuits anytime somebody subs a toe. There is a company that makes a product clearly designed after a thing that can puree meat. And joyfully expects you to shove your dick in it. And that requires balls, so I give them credit. And, um, okay, so lastly, last one on the list is called the Rosebud. And I specifically saved this for last. It's called the Rosebud. And um, to explain the Rosebud, I have to pose another question to you, avid listener, members of the U.S. Army. Are there any two words in the English language more indicative of a good time than prolapsed anus? Go ahead. Try to think of anything more fulfilling on a deep, soul-enriching level than the words prolapsed anus. What is a pro prolapsed anus? Well, aside from being a condition where your insides have been roughly jostled about, that they come spilling out of your asshole, it's also a rosebud masturbator. They call, it, they call a prolapsed anus a rosebud because if you squint, in the right kind of direction, it kind of looks like a rose. It's incredibly painful and uh, smells of feces, but it's actually got like a length of exposed colon 
that popped out of your asshole. That's a rosebud. That's what that is. So somebody turned this thing into a masturbation tool. Somebody thought to themselves, probably while they were sitting alone in the dark, that all the things someone might want to fuck, all the things in the world that someone might want to bury their dick into, nothing, nothing would come close to a prolapsed anus. Nothing at all could compare to that. A prolapse is literally the most Looney Tunes thing that can happen to the human ass. It only gets more Looney Tune if Bugs Bunny himself shows up in drag. So, listen. Everyone is entitled to their legal fetish of choice. I've said that. And if a prolapsed anus is what does it for you, then by God, go to it. But as sex toys go, this is definitely one you might want to double bag in a sock drawer, just so no one, no one stumbles onto it by mistake. Um, it, it's got to be hard to explain to people why you have a rubble, rubber asshole that looks like it's spilling out of itself. So, that's the rosebud. Yeah, that one just grosses me out. But uh, it exists. It exists. I didn't make it. Um, Alright, before I let you go, before I finish up this episode, I'm going to give you a uh, how-to guide for fighting children. Uh, because it occurred to me that maybe, maybe you might have to fight children. Maybe it might be one child. Maybe it might be 20. I don't know. I'm not going to ask why you're fighting children. That's your own business. And I'm sure the reason for it are probably as old as time itself. You know, it could either, it, maybe they started it, uh, maybe you were losing a game of operation and flipped over the table, um, maybe they stole your woman, or maybe you stole their woman, you know, or maybe you just had enough of their bullshit. Any reason for you fighting children is yours. It's your reason. Um, but whether you're a good man who was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or a dangerous maniac who just likes to fight children, I'm here to help. That's what I do. So that's why I'm giving you the goods on how to maximize your odds of winning a fight against children. Follow these guidelines and your opponent will wish that they were never born six or seven years ago. Um, first off, you got to use an appropriate technique. Now, modern mixed martial arts are geared mostly, almost exclusively, as a matter of fact, towards one-on-one -on -one adult combat and are not really designed to take on tiny, tinier, tinier aggressors. Um, as a grown adult, you could be fairly assured of absolutely destroying a seven-year-old if you took him to the floor. But there's always that chance that the child will get loose, and then you're on the ground and exposed. Your best bet is to stay on your feet and use striking techniques. Uh, karate is one good choice. Um, it was originally designed exactly for this scenario, actually. I don't know if, you're, if you know that. Um, also, be aware of your terrain. Uh, by default, you're going to have a height advantage against children. Uh, but don't let that go to your head. Avoid fighting around picnic tables, monkey bars, uh, anything with which a particular daring child could launch an aerial attack on you. Uh, the ideal situation is fighting children who are trapped in a ditch levels below you. Um, remember to stay mobile. you got to stay mobile. Unless you're extremely lucky and find yourself fighting infants, just keep moving. And always try to position the children to one side of you. You know, circle, sidestep, use tactical retreats to uh, try to engage. And where your reach and decades of muscular development should prove an advantage, you, you got to use that. You got to use any advantage you got. Um, speed. Speed. Speed's what we need. We need speed. We need lightning fast, greasy hot speed. You want the fight to be over fast. Children have boundless amounts of energy. And as an adult, you'll quickly tire as the fight progresses. 
So if you schedule your fights with children in advance for some reason, I urge you to focus on pre-training or cardiovascular conditioning or uh, snorting, eye-watering large amounts of cocaine. Um, intimidation. Although I don't expect you to be intimidated by the prospect of fighting children, given that self-confidence comes with maturity, remember that intimidation is a two-way street. If a child loses its fear of you, watch out. Use uh, fierce roars and displays of strength to frighten the child. When taunting, remember that children are almost comically stupid. Uh, and they won't understand any, any uh, creative taunts. You won't intimidate anyone, any children if you have to explain three times to them specifically what you did to their mother last night. That's not going to work. So, you know, keep, keep it simple. Keep it like, uh, hey, uh, did you poop your pants? Piss them off. Make their anger work against them. Uh, groin attacks. In general, the crotch is, is a small area. It's an easily defensible target and not typically a factor in most fights at a uh, reasonably professional level. That said, when children are attacked by an adult, they're rarely going to prof uh, respond professionally. Again, if you have forewarning that you'll be soon coming to blows with children, absolutely wear a cup. If you do get stuck, struck in the groin, under no circumstances should you place your hand on your genitals to massage the pain away. Touching your, private, your privates while surrounded by minors is illegal in many states and frowned upon in all of them. Um, weapons. I would suggest refraining from using weapons, and not just because of the harsh mandatory minimum sentencing laws that are a sad reality in our modern age, but uh, by bringing a weapon, you might prompt the children to bring weapons as well. And this kind of escalation plays against you. Whereas before you could fairly safely absorb several dozen tiny little punches before be being incapacitated, you're now at the you're, if the children bring weapons, you're now at risk of being dropped with a single lucky strike. And if a child with a pair of safety scissors gets at your Achilles tendon, you're fucked. You're done. Um, so here's the thing. You let them live to tell the tale. In all professional fighting, or all professional child fighting leagues, this is now the tradition. But even, in during, even during raw underground child street fights, it serves as an important purpose. By letting uh, at least one child, or if you're only fighting one child, that child, spread word of your great strength and not to be fucked with attitude, to the other children of the area, you can ensure that it will be a long time uh, indeed before some other pint-sized fuckers try to take you on. So that's, that's, uh, that, that, you gotta, again, you got all these advantages, make them work for you, not against you. And uh, that is my advice on how to fight children. Okay, that being said, I think that'll do it for this episode. Uh, check out a fireside chat hosted by my friend Ryan McCormick. Um, that's available on Libsyn.com, and he usually posts the uh, the episode links up on Facebook as well. So uh, go to Facebook and like a fireside chat as well. Um, also check out. 4AM Knows All My Secrets. It's a great podcast, and I, it needs to get a little bit more love uh, than, it, than it already has. It's just fucking great. Uh, him, uh, Ryan McCormick, and Tiffany Moore are your hosts, and they, uh, they, bat they play real well off each other. It's really funny shit, but they're also being super honest. Um, also available on Libsyn, and it has its own Facebook page as well. Um, check out Mixed Sauce, by, uh, hosted by Matt, Ian, and Paul. Uh, they're on Podomatic.com and on YouTube. They also have a Facebook page. Um, check them out. 
And uh, lastly, check out the Case and Point podcast hosted by Justin Case and Jody Yearden. They're on Audio Boom and on YouTube as well. Uh, all, the, all four of these have uh, Facebook pages as well, just like uh, the Element of Surprise Facebook page, which, again, I urge you to go to and leave a uh, review. Thank you very much for your time. And as often said and never imitated, cue the fucking bear music. So